1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with Ellie me and um, with the wonderful Sam. Ahoy! Ahoy! Ahoy there! A little bit of Czech bit, for you. Going a bit, going a bit piratey today. Or Czech? They say that in the Czech Republic. Ahoy! Oh, do they? I, I
0: didn't know that. I think I've got that right. Someone will correct me. I'm sure. But I think every
1: day is a school day. Wowie. Right, my friends, we're going to be talking today about triggers we've got two episodes that kind of they're linked they're linked so today we're going to talk about triggers and it's going to feed into another episode which will be specifically about cravings and so recently we've been talking about the kinds of beliefs that we have when it comes to drinking and, and alcohol and certainly for anybody that is a drinker and is trying to moderate, or is considering going alcohol free, is sober curious. There's one thing for certain: you are going to experience triggers and cravings to a lesser or greater degree. And we're all very, very different, and we've all got different experience. We all um, drink different things and to different amounts, to different levels, different frequency. But these, uh, you know, the triggers and cravings are, are things they are. <laughs> They they are things that you are going to encounter and experience. So we wanted to make sure that there were two things that we got into in detail and we could um, arm you with some real tactics and things that you can use uh, as, as you go into your alcohol-free journey or moderation journey or whatever that looks like. And Sam, you were talking about the link, which I loved. I loved the way that you described how this is important in, you know, this thing, our podcast is all about how you make your life bigger. And I really loved what you said. So you say it instead of me saying it.
0: Okay, Dok. I said that this is a really important thing to think about because if you try and just control everything outside of you so you don't get triggers. So if, say, for example, you decide that you're gonna stop drinking for forever 6 months a year whatever doesn't matter or just moderate um you and then you sort of say to yourself and i don't want to feel i don't want to put anything in the way that might cause me to have a trigger right so you say right so i'm not going to go here and i'm not going to do this and i'm not going to do that and if you do that you make your world smaller and you know, we're all about doing more than you did as a drinker or doing more than you did because you're finally taking your power back from alcohol or however that looks to you. So if you want to carry on going to a music festival or going to the pub with your mates and having a chat on a Sunday or whatever, you know, whatever that thing is. Like, Ellie, you've said you're going to have to accept that in making our world bigger or keeping it the same size, um, we're going to have triggers like alcohol exists. There's no getting away from that. That is the reality of the scenario. Um,
1: mm. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. Something. There are two other things I just wanted to add at this point. The first is that triggers are good news and cravings are good news because they're uh, they're there to tell you something, and and they're not unique to to drinking either. So the tactics and the the things that we're going to talk about are as applicable to sugar. Mm-hmm. Or you know, craving for shopping, or or anything else. Software. So, yeah, so yeah, we were talking about it earlier. So some some addiction. latest addictions are software and cheese. Okay. Uh, Please, so I haven't been able to shake the cheese one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so if if you're joining us as a drinker, um, and you love the podcast, and don't switch off because this uh, the, you're going to still find something of value in the, in this discussion. And the last thing I said before um, I hand over to Sam again, because he's desperate to say something, is that these, as from a drinking point of view, these, these things, triggers and cravings, certainly in my own experience, they go away. And like I, yeah. I, I could confidently say that I have zero triggers to drink. And not only that, I do, I don't have any cravings. I've thought about it on a couple of occasions specifically, which I'll talk about in a different podcast because that's there, there there are other stories altogether. But the interesting thing about where I've where I've thought about it, it's it is intrinsically linked to old neural pathways in the brain that are disconnecting over time, and they held no emotional charge whatsoever. So although the thought entered my head there was absolutely no way that i wanted to drink or had any desire to drink
0: that's interesting i think um i was going to say one thing to remember is that if you are a drinker or moderating like you live with these triggers and cravings all the time anyway so learning different ways to manage or because it can be mm. i know from my experience like not back when i was on the moderation train and trying to sort of only drink on a friday saturday you know i was miserable a lot of the time early in the week um, and so I think some of these things could be really helpful to reframe and mm-hmm. to help in that way. Um, I think this depends on your definition of triggers, then, because to me, so I see, I always thought of a trigger as like something that has the potential to cause the chain of events, right? So, for example, to me, it's maybe it's the alcohol aisle in Tesco or whatever is a is a trigger. Now, I I agree with you now, Ellie. I don't ever those things don't ever Rocco like roll into that journey towards a craving anymore there's no like emotional drive or pull or anything with them i can just like Mm. i don't really care about here's here's a
1: question for you because i i I, I don't often go into supermarkets because i hate it but i went into one recently my question to you is if you see the beers wines and spirits aisle
0: Mm.
1: what what, how do you feel about it
0: i just don't i still feel pretty like I think I sort of don't really feel much. Honestly, I don't really feel much. I sort of, sometimes I'll have a non-alcoholic beer or whatever, but I don't really eat grains. They're not good for me. So gluten. I, I don't mm-hmm. really jump in for that reason, but I'll, I can go walk down them and, and sort of, I don't know, my, I might, my brother might say to me, can you pick me up a couple of beers from the shop?" I don't care. I'll just get them for him. Like, mm. that doesn't bother me. Like, Rob, I think there is actually a beer in a cupboard in the kitchen somewhere, possibly. <laughs> lawn I, beer. you know what, there was a time... <laughs> it was a time and I've worked with a lot of people who were like the idea that they could ever have alcohol in the house and it not trigger them just seems wacky. But I you know that's mm. not for everybody. And I'm not advising that you should go and do, you know, if you don't have it in your house, a really good technique can be, get it out. Like why, yeah, can't, why yeah. bother? But you know, I'm genuinely at a point now where I don't care. I don't really care However, if I really stand there and, and think about it, I get a bit outraged. I'm like, what the fuck? Why is all of this shiny bastard? Like it's just like a sweet shop. And it's not right. And Home Bargains, particularly recently, sorry, Home Bargains, they've annoyed me because they've like, on the way to the tills, they've just like gone wild with the booze. It's like everywhere. Every,
1: yeah. Every uh, and I, just, I think, is, is that linked to the football?
0: You I don't know what it was linked let... to. I think, I think they just extended the shop and decided that they were going to, that's obviously what they extended it for.
1: <laughs> mm. the, the the reason I asked you is because say, I, don't, I don't go in often, but when I do go in, like I, 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 I was uh in a I won't mention the name of the shop <laughs> like, Wait, am I'm like, I not supposed I'm to liking, do that are they going to come know. after me <laughs> Maybe am I going to have to lawyer up <laughs> <laughs> <I> have... <laughs> <laughs> see if I get bolder in five minutes and name the shop I mean, it's, it's relevant really because they're all much of a muchness to me but I, I was meandering along the aisles trying to find something and I saw you know the 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 old ghetto of the beers wines and spirits aisle and my my only feelings now, on, as 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 you mentioned, unless I'm going specifically to look for one of the few al- alcohol-free drinks that will be available there, my, my overriding kind of feeling is of annoyance. I think mm. it's like how how does this take up so much freaking space? And then and then if if I if I link it. If, if I get into story in my own head and I link it to things like I don't know whether you've seen the documentary "Risky Drinking," have you seen that? Possibly. I cried I cried a lot. I cried a lot watching that. And so that that link of something that is so harmful and damaging to so many people to be so overt, freely available. Mm.
0: Yeah yeah i get that you know six years in having done a lot of work and really totally redrafted my belief systems like i don't care i can i understand like it there was a part there was a a time when i would have just thought it that i would never do that where i was like wouldn't pick up beers for or anything like that and and i totally understand anyone that says i don't want to do that right i get it um but and, and, and also I'm like, well, why are they sticking the non-alcoholic beers by the other stuff? Like if
1: you want to talk about like a potential trigger, it's like, should that really be there? Do but you know and- one, of my, one of my favorite things that, so I'll, I will name, I will name Tesco for this. Do you know what Tesco do in one of my local Tescos? They, so they have the beers, wines and spirits. And at the end, they've got a refrigerated section. And you know, like this thing of the alcohol-free mm. drinks are always like sort of shoved at the end of the aisle. So, because they've got the fridge at the end of the aisle, all of the non-alcohol, um, all of the zero-proof um, spirits and wines and everything is in the chilled bit. Brilliant! That's <laughs> Thanks really very good. much. Yeah, it is. But I think I think it's by accident because it's at the end of the aisle, as opposed to by design. Who oh, let's reward the um, uh, the people making the healthy choice in going sure. alcohol-free?
0: But the, the, this is the kind of stuff, the kind of things that can. Um... Be potential triggers. You know, they, they are, these are the, exactly the kinds of things that we're talking about, aren't they? They're sort of everywhere. um
1: mm. We've gone off on a tangent, Sam. We were supposed to be talking about sp- dopamine.
0: I liked it. Go on then. Just bring that back in.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, you want me to talk about it? Hang on, let me take a swig of
0: tea. Or, or you can cue me up. I told you I need queuing up today. I'm having a, so it's my last, yesterday was my last ever day teaching and my brain has sort of fallen out of my head. Um,
1: Getting an experience of what it's like to be going through the perimenopause, Sam. <laughs> I just need help <laughs> staying in in lane. <laughs> well, let's both. We can both talk about dopamine. Okay. Um, so, so dopamine is the learning molecule. So, dopamine is is responsible for this. So, if, if if let me illustrate this with a story. So, I recognized for myself that a trigger for me. Was the cupboard that held the wine glasses in the kitchen so my I, I got into this routine when I was drinking I got into this routine of put the kids to bed after a stressful day of working kids combo and all the while I'm putting the kids to bed I'm like strung out I'm desperate for that escape I'm, I just want that release that that quiet that um Just that that sigh of relief, and so inevitably, be thinking about once I've got them to bed, I am going to go and get myself a drink, and get into the kitchen and 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 actually, this this would happen when I was moderating. So if I was in that frame of I am not drinking midweek, I am just going to drink on weekends, and so I'd have that stressful period putting the kids to bed, and I'd either be in the mode of feeling a bit excitable because there was a potential of having a drink afterwards, or I'd be feeling really ratty because it was a Tuesday and a Tuesday was a non-drinking day and whichever of the two it was, if I went into the kitchen, I would have this pull around the, uh, if, you know, if I was anywhere near this cupboard where the wine glasses were, I would have this, this, this pull. And what that is, is this sort of intense, um, discomfort is my brain telling me I I should be doing something right about now. There's something I'm not doing. So if I'd chosen not to drink because it's a Tuesday, my brain would be trying to scream out to me, there is something that you should be doing right about now that you're not doing. And that, and that is dopamine. So So when we drink and we have the artificial overstimulation of the pleasure center of the brain, And dopamine is released at artificially high levels. It's it's like it takes a snapshot of all of the things that are going on at the time, all the things that are happening, and the things that are around you. And it does that so that you can replicate the same experience again. You can find yourself there again. So in this naked mind world, anybody that's listened to Annie Grace talk about this is, the example is the... The the raspberry bush or the you know the, the the berry bush where you are um in days of old foraging for food. And if you came across the 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 bush with the food, especially something as you know juicy and sweet as a berry, you would have this intense rush of of dopamine. And and that is there to keep you alive, right? That is there so that you can find that raspberry bush again in the future and you can um you can survive by nourishing yourself by eating and so this same snapshot would occur where you, you, your brain would take you know right well, what's the what's like the weather like and what's the terrain like and you know where, like how you got to that point where you found that bush you came upon the bush that was going to nourish you and have this this um, release of dopamine so it's the same thing so my bush <laughs> If you like. Was, <laughs> was the cupboard? My oh, bush was the cupboard. <laughs> I
0: never, ever, ever thought I oh, would hear you say that, but there we go.
1: Oh,
0: <laughs> oh classic. That is in the oh. highlight reel.
1: <laughs> That's do it. Oh god, you're gonna to have to it, check it, over it, now. So.
0: It is um, <laughs> it's the same. Yeah, exactly that the learning mechanisms are there and you end uh with enough repetition of the same thing, you end up with survival circuits being activated. Essentially your brain is saying, you know, I, this thing required mm. in order for me to survive. So it becomes, it gets pushed up the hierarchy of value in your life. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's interesting. You triggered something, ha ha ha. You made me think of something in my mind. Think of something in my mind. There we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've lost it as well. I can't get over that. comment. It's just madness. Um, where, you know, when you walk into a, birthday party and you if, you, if you if you're avoiding cake for example and you remove all the triggers and you don't go near the cake aisle and you don't go to places or whatever it's like it's okay but you can imagine stepping into a birthday party you know not only do you have the society level beliefs of well you eat cake to yeah. celebrate but you've yeah. got the trigger of the snapshot of every time you go into those scenarios yes so the trigger is almost like potentially more has the potential to like roll further than 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 something else might do so that dopamine response, it's just like that wanting. And yeah. I think it's really interesting to to just sort of define that wanting is is very different to liking and enjoying. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I think for the longest time, dopamine was considered to be this idea that, oh, well, if you're flooded with dopamine, it's like, you know, you feel good and it's like everything feels great. It's like, well, no, it's the, it's the wanting bit. Mm. Um, but then often, <laughs> if you have that and you get rid of the wanting bit, actually you don't then necessarily feel incredible you can feel quite flat Mm. that that,
1: that kind of segues into a story which i wasn't prepared to talk about right now but we will we'll we'll come back to the keep me in my lane yeah we'll (laughs) stop stop taking me off to lapland will you
0: (laughs) i've
1: talked about my bush we'll come back to lapland (laughs) (laughs) keep going (laughs) Um, yes I'm glad that I'm glad that you said that about that this, this this is the this yeah it's it's an important point about it's a it's a, a um, something to distinguish between the wanting and the liking that's yeah. a really important point point. and the thing the thing that is important to know or that is good to know the good news about triggers is the two things of Number one, when you know what they are, when you know what your own specific triggers are, you can plan for them.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And we'll talk about introducing friction as a means to deal with them. And the second thing is that the second piece of good news is you can reprogram your brain. So um, I can't remember to how much extent we've talked about this. But this is the whole point about neural pathways in the brain, and I, met, I know I mentioned it earlier with this, like you know, this long-standing link of certain. So one of the one of the times that I thought about drinking, where that I referred to earlier, where it had no emotional charge. What happened to me was it was my fortieth birthday last year, and so at this point I'm about six months alcohol-free, happily alcohol-free not interested in it at all, desire to drink completely gone, blown away by it so much that I'm in the middle of training to be a coach and all of that business. And my birthday was the first birthday, probably by pregnancy and childhood where I hadn't drank and I, I wasn't planning to drink. And it was wonderful. Like I had my best birthday ever. It was just incredible. And I felt incredibly loved upon by people and it's a really, really magical, lovely experience. And halfway through the day, I went to the fridge. It's really, it's July. it's a hot sunny day like it is today. I went to the fridge to get a, a refreshing cold drink. And this thought came in my head that was, ah, this is where you pop the champagne, right? And bearing in mind, so before I stopped drinking, I'd had, I had no plans to stop drinking. Like i just happened upon the paper about moderation that blew me away. And it was right before Christmas and I bought all this, all of my favorite champagne. So my wine rack at home was stocked up with wine and, and very expensive, lovely, as I considered it then, champagne all stocked up in there. And then I stopped drinking and it's sat there ever since, other than where I've gifted it to people. So here I am last July, champagne rack full of champagne, wine rack full of champagne, open the fridge. This is where you pop the champagne and it was so funny to me how with zero desire to drink like being out of the habitual patterns i'd had for so many years like all of that gone yet you can still have that almost like that triggering event or you know like that that connection and that is the old neural pathways yeah. and that and that takes so so they do disconnect but it takes time and the thing that helps the process is Connecting the new neural pathways by embodying your new beliefs and uh, walking new ground, and uh, and reinforcing those new, building them, strengthening them over time, which is repetition. So, one thing that I would love to link to this uh, episode in the show notes is: there's you can find these little videos on YouTube of where neural pathways are exactly what I'm talking about. Neural pathways disconnecting. I don't know where that is. Yeah. And the new neural pathway is firing. That's and amazing. so f- it, it is, it's wonderful to see it. So, so even if you're 40 years old, you can completely possibly completely you're 70, because I'm not I'm not hey. a, I'm not a neuroscientist, but you can re- rewire your brain, you can change yeah. your brain, and wow we. Just thought of another episode where you talk about how amazing the human brain and body is. But what like as one thing that can that you can influence yourself with this remarkable brain and body that we all have. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible.
0: It's really interesting to reflect on the fact that thoughts repeatedly thought will alter the structure of your brain. Mm, thoughts, mm. Re- new thoughts invited in will alter the structure of your brain. So when we're talking about rebuilding a different belief system, we quite literally mean rebuilding your brain to some extent. And there's something really, really, really important to reflect on here. I can't state this enough. Is that a trigger is not you, right? Yes. The You can shift quicker than the literal physical makeup of your brain can shift. So you invite this new thought in that you truly are and want to believe because it's your new worldview but you know you've still got these old things there so Alan Carr used to talk about how you get into your new car and you got the indicator and you're it's on the other side right so you're you're yeah, used yeah. to clicking your right hand then suddenly it's, it's on the other side and there's a while where you keep turning the windscreen wipers on instead of the indicator light or whatever I I liken this to my oven I get, came into my new house recently the oven knobs went the bloody other way for about a month I just kept going (laughs) up to it and going why is the oven not basically on and I was like oh because I was trying to flick it to the highest and all I was doing was flicking it to the lowest Mm. but there's this process I went from being unconscious and constantly not doing what I wanted to do which was not turn the oven on then I went to this state of being like no I have to remember to turn it the other way right Mm. and that lasted for probably a week and then suddenly it was like most of the time I would just remember not without consciously, it would become like a habit, a habit, and then every now and again. But then every now and again, like you say, Ellie, just for whatever reason you flick the indicator on from the way that you used to do it in your old car. or you. And in those moments, it's really, really powerful to remember. It doesn't mean that just because you've done that once that mm. you're still secretly longing for or craving or subconscious. No, that's not the deal. The deal mm. is that it's just an old thing it doesn't exist anymore, and if you've got that frame of mind, you can laugh at it. You can be like, like you said, isn't that interesting yeah. that I just that popped up at this moment in time? How weird, you know? How strange that I had a trigger for this cigarette or this drink or this whatever mm. at this time. Like, and then you've it's got no power over you
1: anymore. Mm. Mm. I really like that, Sam. That it, that is the whole, um, you know, that matrix of unconsciously incompetent to mm. there we go consciously incompetent yep to consciously competent so where you're mm-hmm. having to think about it but you are turning your oven on the right way to unconsciously competent do you, do you, know do you what see the... how, how carefully I said all of that <laughs> do you know one of the most challenging
0: things to be unconsciously competent is that is talking through those four stages of like not having to be consciously competent of talking how you move from one state that's basically because the words are also similar so Mm. anyway Mm. yeah no it is it is really really powerful and i think a lot of people um they're like oh how long is this going to last am i going to be and that's the kind of the the feeling of struggle it's like am i going to be remembering to to bloody do this with the other knob for forever or am I going to be like constantly reminding myself that no actually you don't want the drink or the cigarette or the cookie or whatever it's just an old neural pathway well no the answer is no the only way through is through Mm. when you get to the other side you will literally inhabit a new brain and a new reality Mm.
1: Mm. true true do you want to hear about Lapland UK hit me up (laughs) So the, the the reason actually that I was going to talk about this was it, it kind of links back into episode eight where we were talking about drinking to relax. I'm sure in that episode we talked a little bit about scratching the itch, this concept yep. of scratching the itch and we wanted to talk talk about it again in this context because, it's important to understand like where, where people are faced with triggers and where people are faced with cravings. It's important. like, And again, we'll talk in a little while about playing the tape forward, but it's, it's important to understand what's at play here, because if you, if you can experience this, this point about you are effectively scratching a niche that's, the the drink has created itself, then it unwinds a lot of it because the, the, there's there's no point in it's like the ski boots that we talked about. There's no point in wearing the ski boots all day around the house just to have the relief of um, taking them off at the end of the day. So this this story about Lapland, UK, illustrates that this point about what happens if we don't have a niche to scratch. And so this story is just. So we're talking about not last December, the December before. We were taking the kids to Lapland, UK, and Lapland, UK, for people like Sam who are not yet in kiddie world, or not in kiddie world, and have no intention of getting into kiddie world. Um we'll see. <laughs> Bob Michelle, no, no, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing yeah. planned. <laughs> I'll, I'll move. I'll move swiftly on. <laughs> So in, in kiddie world, Lapland, UK is Lapland with a UK vibe. So it's <laughs> it is Santa Claus, it's elves, it's candy canes, it's it's all of that business. And it's in like Berkshire or somewhere. <laughs> so it's it's not quite as salubrious as Lapland. However, it's good fun. It's really good for the kids, really magical experience. But it's a long way from Cambridge, right? So we're up early in the morning, we're driving down there. And it's a long drive with the kids. I, at this point, so th- at this point, a couple of decembers ago, were so th- where I was in my alcohol free journey was I'd literally just read the PDF, Six Vital Things to Know about Moderation. I'd then had the desire to drink, like, uh, been removed because I realized that the main reason I was drinking was for relaxation and I, it, it wasn't delivering on the relaxation understood the science for the first time and I was in this really weird space of I'd gone from drinking very regularly to I just didn't want to drink anymore and it was a bit weird and I had plans to join the live alcohol experiment that was starting in the January so I was in kind of this like liminal space and I had all of this like well how, how you know how do you function as a fully grown adult if you don't drink and all the socials you had all of that going on so I was in this weird place but the overarching theme was I was in a really, really good place. And so we we go down to Lapland, UK and we get out. And it's so even though it's early morning and even though I've been in the car with the kids for this extraordinary length of time, I am absolutely buzzing. I love Christmas. And I was just so excited about this whole experience. So we get in amongst it and we are baking gingerbread with Mrs. Claus. We are making toys with the elves in the toy factory. It's really, really, really lovely. And... Halfway through the day, we break for lunch and we go off to this um, winter wonderland place. My husband goes off to get food and drinks for us. And he comes back and he's he's got food for all of us and he's got some refreshing drinks. Now, bless him, I hadn't told him that I wasn't drinking because I was in that weird sp- space of like, I just didn't really know what I was doing I was just kind of going to see what happened and so he thought thinking that he's doing a nice thing because we're off work we're giving up for Christmas he's driving he's he's bought me a single serve white wine in a little bottle and so I look at this thing I'm thinking oh fuck I'd like because I didn't want to drink I didn't, what I had noted, like, up until that point, I hadn't even thought about it. It hadn't even entered my mind. I was having a wonderful time acting like a kid with the kids, really, you know, full of joy and energy. You know, like, it, it, if you if you wake up regularly with a hangover, there's this magical thing about waking up without a hangover. Like, it feels really, really good. And it never gets old. It never gets old. So I was in this wonderful space, uh, space. And then I presented with this dilemma and it really irritated me that I had to deal with it. Like I was, I was frustrated because I didn't, I, I honestly, I didn't want to drink it, but the two thoughts that were going through my head were number one, you can't waste it. Which is ridiculous. It's a single serve wine. It's crap. You can't waste it. And then the second thought, which was a better thought was surely it can't make that much difference. I wonder what would happen. It can't make that much difference. It's one little single-serve wine. It can't make that much difference. So I decided to drink it. We you were out... really in the wanting, not wanting,
0: wanting battle there.
1: Yes, but not in not in the way of before. Mm. This was different because I really... The desire to drink it for... if To feel, to change my feeling state wasn't there. That's mm. what I was... So I would usually be reaching for it because I wanted to change the way that I was feeling. And I didn't want to do that. So that was the difference. So I drank it. We were outside. And honest to God, the only difference that I noticed was, you know, when you get that warming effect when you drink. And so I felt like heaviness in my chest and I felt this warmth, which was probably because we were stood outside. So I drink the drink and uh, I, I don't, you know, the artificial, um, Simulation of the pleasure center of the brain and this you know the giddiness and the tipsiness didn't feel any of that that when your blood alcohol content's rising so that's going on for 20 minutes I didn't notice any elevation in my mood whatsoever and that was because I was in a really really good place I didn't need to reach for something to feel better so that's the first 20 minutes what happens after the first 20 minutes of drinking Anybody that's listened to episode number eight will be able to answer the question. We then get into blood alcohol content falling. And this lasts for a lot longer, it lasts for hours. And it's feelings of discomfort, dysphoria, unease. And so that's where I'm headed next. And we're into the second half of the day. We go ice skating. <laughs> Ooh, my blood alcohol content starts to fall as we're ice skating but what this so I, you know I, I enjoyed the ice skating but what this looked like was i started to get into this state of agitation frustration a dip in energy felt more fatigued um my patience was wearing thin with uh, ice skates with multiple kids one of the kids has fallen over and got your know, soaked from head to foot another one's doing something else you know all of the stuff going on. And so as I'm meandering through the rest of the day, I'm then also making myself feel worse because I'm saying to myself, this is your own fault, right? Because You were having a great time earlier on. Why the hell did you have that drink? Because that's what has made you feel like shit. Why, why do you do that? Because you've now, if I'm telling myself my story, you've ruined the day because it was great earlier on and now it's not. And so I have to I have to take my bad self to Santa Claus with the kids, and 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 it, as I say, I still enjoyed these moments. It was still good fun. Um, it'd be interesting to really understand how it was from uh, the perspective of the rest of my family, uh, but because I didn't have another drink, I had to experience the full four to five hours of blood alcohol content falling and it's not nice it does not feel nice if you haven't ever tried this read chapter 18 of William Porter's book Alcohol Explained and do the exercise experience it for yourself because you will you will you will feel this 20 minutes um, and in my case here there was no upside at all and then you'll feel the full downside of it and it is not a pleasant experience and unfortunately for me the worst of it the very, very worst end of it was in a car in a lot of traffic because we're right bumping up against Christmas and rush hour on the M25 ugh, with three overtired, overstimulated, um, too much sugar and all of that business, kids in the back, fighting and arguing. It was bloody awful. It was really, really awful. And anybody that's had any kind of experience with, you know, even if you haven't got alcohol on board or you're not in a dysphoric state, having kids strung out in the back and being stuck in a traffic jam. It's not a pleasant experience, but bloody hell, it was so much worse with um, with this, this state that I was in. But it, it was so, uh, I, th- I think it's just such a, a clear, certainly for myself, it was a really clear experience of, there is no upside to drinking. Because if if alcohol was fun and it helped you to be more joyful and it helped you to be more fun and all of the rest of it, if it really truly added something, it would have added something to that experience.
0: Yeah, and I I think for a lot of people for whom, you're right, a lot of people don't do that. You just don't have one and then leave it. And Mm. really, if you actually sit and reflect as to why that is, it's because the one or few times that it's happened to you, and you haven't really noticed you felt crap all the time where something gets in the way of you getting to the bar and having the drink or whatever and so Mm. a lot of people will say things like "Uh, yeah it's fine I don't like sort of like drink during the week or whatever but then if I start I can't stop or like you know I'd rather I'd never go to the pub and just have a couple what's the point like I drink to get drunk I don't drink to have like one or two that is that same mechanism playing out Mm. and that's why because the reason you don't drink one and just leave it is because it makes you feel rubbish afterwards. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, that's really, yeah. I mean, I had lost count of the amount of times. I would much rather, I can remember having one occasion like this where, I met my partner, Robin, at summer school and we had the day off. So we went to, we went on a really nice romantic walk through the woods and it was lovely and beautiful. And it really was. And the whole time, all I, I was just thinking about having a cider, a beer. I was really drinking quite heavily at that point. Um, and I remember that we, I manufactured a way for us to like walk into a pub on the way back. Uh, and I drank this one beer and it did get rid of, I mean, I was really in the wanting. So mm. it did did sort of fix that bit. It did take the wanting away. Um, but then I had to go back um, to, I basically, I had to go back. I wasn't on duty. So I wasn't like doing anything silly like teaching, having had a beer or anything, because it was a day off. But you weren't allowed to drink on site. So we had this beer, then we went back and we were going out again at like nine o'clock that night. So I had to get from like two in the afternoon, where I'd had that beer, to nine, and I knew—I already knew at that point—I was like, "Oh, I don't want to do." It. I actually, before I drank the drink, I was like, "I don't really think I want to do this because I'm going to have to go through nine hours of the shit that comes afterwards." Anyway, I did it, mm. and it was horrible. I, I think I ended up just going to bed, and that's what a lot of people end up doing. Right? You end up you sleep—you sleep your way through it. Oh yeah, you sleep through the worst of it if you can. Yeah. You just stick yourself in bed at
1: night and, and whatever. But, but yeah. Um. Uh, go on, sorry. Ellie i was just gonna say and i think that's why people largely miss how much it's taking from them because what one drink usually isn't enough because of the way that it works chemically it's going to create the itch you want to scratch the itch so you have the next one Mm -hmm. and multiple drinks means blood alcohol content falling for a much longer period of time and usually the worst of it is naturally when you've gone to bed but you know equally why people wake up in the middle of the night with sometimes with with anxiety because of the stimulant effect of it Uh, but like I before I learned the science I would have like I you know you know that you you, you can have the after effects of like hangover and what have you, but I just, I didn't specifically know, the thing that changed for me was knowing about blood alcohol content rising, what what happens there, and then blood alcohol content falling. And so if I ever consider the trade-off, it just, it, it, it I, I, I can't think of any way that it could ever make sense. But I don't think people typically know that, and they don't typically feel that. It it doesn't manifest itself in that way of, oh, I feel feel good for 20 minutes. Uh, Oh, my God, I'm feeling awful. I'm feeling awful. I'm feeling awful. This goes on for four to five hours, specifically alcohol. It's usually that people would attribute it to something else, I think.
0: Yeah, and like you, you'll notice it, and everything. we drink in rounds, so like the drink's nearly gone, and another drink comes, or like mm. you maybe yeah. you're the person who has three or four beers on a Sunday afternoon, and then has a nap, right? So yes. you have your beers, yeah. and then you go to bed for a few hours, and then, so we kind of have these things that are in there that alter it. We spoke last week, I think I, I can't remember when it was about like the the how things can feel like it really can feel like these things are happening but actually if you take a step back and if you do these experiments if you are somebody who's still drinking or moderating and have the drink and wait and see how you feel Mm. you will and then you can journal on it and write down about it and it gives you a real strong example of how how that can happen um did we want to cover we spoke a bit earlier about trigger and that we're not covering cravings today we're gonna we're gonna flow into that but we wanted to talk about kind of like the movement from trigger yes through that flow to like when it tips over into a craving and then strong craving. And and do, did we want to cover that today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think your pathway is a really good visual.
0: Yeah. I mean, so by the path, I think so. what I was explaining earlier, when I work with um, a lot of my coaching clients, I, I sort of talk to them about how triggers to me are kind of, or potential triggers are things that you, you don't really have any choice about seeing a beer in tesco or something like that you're going to see a bush (laughs) you know you see the bush (laughs) and you think i need a drink right um those things exist in the world um and then there's kind of like immediately afterwards there's kind of like this thing that happens which is like the brain can can kick in and it can start saying like the things that your your sort of like addictive voice would say at least things like you kind of like oh well you could you could have a drink now and chill you help you to chill out and relax you deserve this it's been a long day whatever it is however your voice talks to you um it can kind of start this chain of events and the the trigger then leads to that kind of like conversation in our head and Mm -hmm. then at a certain point there's kind of like this tipping point where it activates almost like kind of like subconscious level um belief systems and then we can end up as particularly if if we're not if we can't do that thing because we have got to do something quickly or whatever and we want to consciously uh, but we can't do it then we tip over into this other mode of like it sort of tips into a craving at that point i feel it's like moving from like green into the red zone um Mm. and i think the really interesting thing is that when we do that if we try and join the conversation in our head, that can really be very helpful at some points in that journey to the point Mm. where you're just like consumed by this hijack moment. Um, we'll cover that in the next session. But prior to that, if you hop into the, if you have some tools and tactics to really help you, when those triggers and those thoughts are in your mind, you can really sort of calm it down and you can stop it before you get to the point of just being like sort of consumed by that really intense um, craving. And we had a few things that we wanted to share, didn't we really on to that aim, basically.
1: Mm. There's um, there's a tactic, which is well known in the, uh, the the this naked mind world called duck mode. And you can even get yourself a duck mode t-shirt if you're so inclined. But this, this tactic came from, one of Annie's friends uh, who's a a mum of kids and she would experience that thing that, that we as parents experience of kids asking and asking and asking over and over again for something like ice cream. So they're in the car, she's driving somewhere, they want to stop at the ice cream place. And, um, and she said, no, and the kids would go on and on and on and they'd find all of the different excuses and, um, trying to negotiate with her and she developed what she called duck mode which uh, was likened to you know water off a duck's back I think that's where it came from and she would tell her kids if the answer was no it would be no and I'm now going into duck mode now initially when she went into duck mode which was I'm, I'm not caving in when she went into duck mode they would really try it on and it got amped up like so if it was a if it was a, a, a an 8 out of 10 before it was like a 10 out of 10 then an 11 and a 12 they were really pushing with this desperation for whatever the, the thing was that they wanted but what she consistently did was stuck with duck mode and didn't give in so because of that, that decision that's made up front and is stated and is clear and is unwavering, effectively what that meant with her children was that over a number of occasions, which was a relatively small number of occasions, they then understood what duck mode was and figured there's no point in this. This is a complete waste of energy. So duck mode for her resulted in her children quietening down on that like they, they would ask they're sure they're still going to ask their kids but if the answer was no and by the way, I'm in duck mode, then they just stopped that intense um, aggravation for you know please 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 please, please as, as kids would. So that's that can be a really useful tactic when when people are dealing with triggers, you've got you've got a decision to make and so the origins of decide are to cut off aren't they that's Mm. the the origins of the word and so there's there's great power in making a a firm decision and cutting off the other options if you tell yourself "Mm, maybe I'll have a drink then you will
0: yeah and and this is really important for to understand is that the conversation that's happening in your mind is being played out in words. Now, the logical thing is, right, I'm going to hop into the conversation in my head and I'm going to logically talk it down. And I'm going to go around in circles with it. But often if you, once you do that, you're trying to solve an issue at the level at which it was created. The problem is actually a lot of the reason for that trigger often sometimes is subconscious. Like it's something that you see or something that, and it bubbles up from our limbic system, from our emotional brain. And that doesn't really deal with words doesn't really speak Mm. English or whatever your Mm. language is. It deals in a different thing. So you're we've all, I'm sure many of us have had that experience where, you know, you almost get into this kind of like bargaining dialogue with the voice in your head. And then it just gets, it can just increase and increase and increase. So this thing of just like, no, not having that discussion with you is Mm. really, really powerful, really, really powerful. Um, Yeah. So duck mode is a great one. Mm. I think, there are other things that you can do that can really shift your perspective really quickly as well. Two that I used to found really, really powerful. One is playing it forward. So you'd kind of literally just run through the events of like, what's going to happen if I make this decision to have this one beer or whatever, Um, or the next beer, you know, maybe it's you're four in and you're like, do I want this other one? You know that you shouldn't be doing it, for example, or, or for me, it was very powerful to just like run through the whole night and then la- literally go through that, all the details of it. Right. And I wrote a blog post about this that I'll share, which like details, like a really sort of like intricate curve of like where it ends up and all the patterns that we always go through and you end up at the, the, Bloody um, what do you call it, hole in the wall taking money out at three o'clock in the morning, and then you end up here, and then you end up there, and then you end up at home and you wake up the next morning with a tongue like a lizard and everything, you know, and, and that's it. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm not making a decision about one drink. I'm deciding about whether I want all of mm. that shit to happen. Mm. And that can really just be like a jolt of like, oh, okay. And it, and you know, it can jolt you out. Mm. Um, so there are things that you can do when you're in that kind of like green mode where you're sort of like in the oh, yeah, well, I could do and I could, that kind of mode that are really, really powerful.
1: Mm. And then you potentially cross into red mode and that's well, where we're headed towards cravings.
0: Yeah. And I think we'll talk about that next time. But the the mechanism really is that, OK, so you if you if you don't have tactics... Uh, or distraction, or walk, go for a walk or get a list out of all the reasons that you're alcohol free or those things that we've spoken about, duck mode or play it forward, whatever. Then, and if you just enter the conversation with your mind, right, and you keep Mm. going, you keep going, you keep going, (laughs) you don't win because the subconscious brain is insanely powerful at pushing forward what it wants. Mm. So Mm. you end up moving into quite a visceral level craving where fight or flight comes online. You feel like survival mode kicks in. And I think people will recognize that feeling of just like mm. it's like the fuck it button people talk about screw it um you know and it and it becomes very very powerful um there are things you can do even when you're in that mode definitely but oh, yeah the important thing is it's it's time to stop having a conversation with yourself about it because it ain't listening mm. you're your emotional body and your 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 rational brain are not talking to each other in the way that you'd like them to be. So that's what we're going to sort of cover next time is what to do when you're kind of in the red zone, as I call it, um, mm. or even kind of like in the amber zone, you sort of notice that you're sort of like tipping into that place. Mm. Um,
1: yeah. There's there's one last place that I, I want to dwell that you've just reminded me of because it's, it's a highly effective thing to do for people. Mm. And you just need to find the right way to integrate it. And so where you talked about having a list of your reasons why I talk to my clients about having some form of an anchor into their why, and that can be anything from a teetotaler tattoo on your arm. Boom. It can be a piece of sober jewelry. You can get some beautiful sober jewelry. I've had, clients with rings, um, actually for the groups. So the groups that I coach, uh, my small groups of women that I coach, a friend of mine who is a wonderful yoga teacher and she's really into all things um, essential oils, aromatherapy, and she makes mala and she makes me little mala bracelets in my brand colours and I share those with Mm. the ladies that I coach. And it can one as a, as a group, it's a thing that kind of brings them all together. But also, it's it's a point of anchoring in, um, you know your your reasons your reasons for being your reasons for being where you are the direction that you're headed in. So whether it's your list, whether it's the tattoo, whether it's the sober jewelry, whether it's the the marla, some people I've known to to, to just carry something like um, it can be some kind of a token. It might be it might be like a glass. Uh, I've heard of like glass hearts or stone hearts. Just having something like that that is con- like almost like concealed. It's in your pocket, and when you're out and about, if you have that trigger or that moment, it's it's something tangible. It's something that you can feel and touch. And this, the one of the one of my past clients she had one and it was she has a lovely story of what it's related to in terms of people in her life and for her to be able to smooth her fingers over that heart and to be able to hold it in her palm is so comforting so i would really encourage anybody to find an anchor something that they can either keep on them or you know depending on what you you know, some people are more tactile some people it's visual um but there are so many different ideas and things that you can do and you can really go to
0: town with this stuff it's um i've worked with a lot of people who really love having kind of rituals attached to this kind of thing so like when you get your anchor you can have like maybe it's a 20 minute meditation where you sit Mm. and you you really resonate your affirmation of like the promise that you're making to yourself Mm. and you fill that thing with all of that energy and all of that like commitment um and yeah things like that are really really powerful it's um yeah really really powerful the tattoo i'll talk about that at some point that was a really interesting thing to get done and what happened to my um body and how i felt when i was having that tattoo done because i do have it's from holly whitaker's um stuff tea total i like it because it speaks purely to not drinking which um you know really resonates with me um but yeah Cool, Ellie. I really enjoyed that. That was cool. I enjoyed talking about um, all sorts of things, um, especially the cupboard moment. Um, and my bush. <laughs> yep. I mean, that is comedy gold. That one's going to go down in podcast, in, in our podcast history anyway. I'm sure there'll be <laughs> other things that come up. But yeah, I think that's a, a nice way to, um, to wrap it up. Um, and um, I think we're going to have a lot of really, intro- Ellie's lost it for those who are watching they'll know but she's 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 gone again um wonder what, what's going to come up Sam. Oh, so many things classic we'll have um a lot to talk about in that craving thing as well it's an
1: important one to cover it's a really important one to cover it is it is it is because <laughs> you know you, yeah. you're going to experience it so um it's it's going to be useful to listen in and pick up some some tactics even if you're not uh, you're not listening to us for the alcohol information the drinking information
0: yeah i mean there's loads of parallels we'll talk about it but like high anxiety any kind of like you know any kind of like hijack it doesn't have to be like an alcohol craving it could be any kind of high and in- intense emotion these these things will be helpful for
1: Right, i better go Right,
0: <laughs> i right i'll i'll do all of the uh, i'll do the waffle in the outro i'm gonna gonna cut any loose <laughs> I'm I'm, going to stop.
1: Have a lovely week, folks.
0: See you, team. Hi, team. Okay, look, we covered a lot there, but it's really, really important because the tools and tactics and the understanding that we have of triggers and cravings inform our journey. They are really, really powerful in helping us move through these things and providing choices to us that we don't have if we don't understand what's going on in our bodies and in our minds. Uh, and yeah, you know, this is it. Like having an up-leveled understanding, it means that you can move through these this process quicker and you can move into freedom quicker. And that is exactly what we're about here, making life bigger, not smaller and moving into freedom. Okay, so thank you so much. Tune in next week. We'll be diving deeper into cravings and what to do when you get a more kind of like a, um, a stronger craving coming online so do make sure you tune in for that and you know thanks for the continued listens thanks for the continued support this is awesome like we we know that these conversations are changing people uh, even in a small way and that's amazing it makes us feel great about what we're doing um, and makes us just want to you know put more energy into this and and, and do more so please go leave us a review wherever you're listening from apple is amazing um, you know they sort of like command the charts as such so it's really really helpful if you leave a review and talk about the particular episode that you found helpful um, it helps us get the word out and reach more people have an amazing week see you next week and uh, sweet